Father, again, we thank you for the life of your son, and we pray that as we uh, wind down this last session of the evening, you would uh, be strong on our behalf and show us how we can learn from these incredible events which take place at this great time in history. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Starting with Bethlehem birth. Here we go. Bethlehem birth, Egypt flight, Nazareth carpenter, Jordan River baptized by John, wilderness tempted by Satan, Perea first followers, Cana first miracle, Jerusalem first cleansing, second birth up through Sychar, woman at the well, Nazareth rejection, Capernaum authority, conflict, spat, two S's, selection of the twelve, Sermon on the Mount, two P's, power from Satan, and the parables start. Today we're going to see a storm stilled. We're just going to calm the storm like Jesus did, a storm stilled. And there was a question, are we going to do power over Satan or are we going to do power from Satan? We're going to do power from Satan. We'll put that in quotes. And that's because the Pharisees are saying, Jesus, we don't deny that you have power. We just say you're getting your power from Satan. You with me? Okay, let's go to the Harmony of the Gospels paragraph 68. At the end of the Mark 4 passage, <laughs> seems like we've been here all day, but it says on that day, which is a long day, Jesus is rejected by the Jewish leaders. He teaches all day in parables. And on that day when evening came, Jesus said what? Let's go to the other side of the lake. So Jesus is on one side of the lake, and they're going to the other side of the lake, and uh, we're going to see what happens as they get to the other side of the lake. After leaving the crowd, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. And I've never noticed this before, but the next words are interesting. And other boats were with him. Have you ever noticed that? So Jesus is going to deal with a situation where there's not just one boat involved, there's more than one boat involved, but as far as I know, the disciples don't really care about the other boats. Now, a great windstorm developed, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was nearly swamped. But he was where? In the stern, sleeping on the cushion. Don't you just love that? They woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're about to die? You know, at least, Jesus, get up and worry. Now, again, when you look at the map of Israel, at the, at, right down through the middle of, of the country is this rift. It's called the uh, African-Syrian Rift. And this ditch, really, which goes from way north of Israel to way down here into the uh, Gulf of Suez, is it the Gulf of Suez, the Red Sea, the Red sea is, is many hundreds of feet below sea level. The, the Dead Sea is 1,300 feet below sea level. It's the lowest place on the planet. And the Sea of Galilee is about 600 feet below sea level. Then up here, right about where I am off the map, is a picture of, uh, I've given you a picture of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is 8,500 feet above sea level. And there's snow on Mount Hermon. In fact, you can go skiing when you go to Israel. It's pretty amazing. The, the terrain change is bizarre. And the wind comes whipping down this hill because cold air sinks. And this little bitty Sea of Galilee, which is kind of the shape of a bathtub, uh, ends up with these, these incredible windstorms. I didn't really understand that until I actually got to be on the Sea of Galilee with a storm. And we instantly went from a, a lake. It's a, it's a little bit larger than Lake Parker, but it's not that big. It's, these days it's six miles wide and 13 miles long. 
to having four-foot waves. It was pretty, pretty amazing. And the boat they were in was not as long as from the front of the bank to our room here and, uh, you know, might have had three feet sides. But the waves come and the boat's filling. And then the disciples ask my, my life verse, Lord, don't you care that we are about to die? You know, people have these great life verses. That's mine. I wait till, it's, till the boat's filling up. And then, uh, you know, the, the New American here says, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? So we got up and rebuked the wind. The word rebuke there is the word to muzzle a dog. I love that. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, be quiet, calm down. And the wind stopped. Not only that, it was dead calm. Dead calm, not just calm. There's a big difference between mostly calm and all calm. It's a twofold miracle, if you think about it. When I was a kid, I grew up uh, taking a bath in, in my grandmother's house from time to time because nobody took showers. I'm so old. Uh, but you could, you know, if you got six inches of water in the tub and got your bottom scooching back and forth on the bottom of the tub, you could get some waves working. And then there was water on the floor, and then I would get whipped on my bare bottom, which was wet, which really hurt. But Jesus not only calms the waves, he calms the wind, and everything's calm. And then he asks a pretty amazing question. He looks at his disciples, he got up, he rebuked the wind, said to the sea, be quiet, calm down, and the wind stopped and it was dead calm, and he said to them, why are you so cowardly? Do you still have no (laughs) faith? You still have no faith. Now all day long Jesus had been teaching in parables. All day long. And oh, by the way, after every parable, he'd stop and say, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. And we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. Romans 14, 10, verse 10 says that. And then look at the first verse of this paragraph. Look at what it says. Jesus said to his disciples at the end of that day, on that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go across to the middle of the lake and drown. Is that what it says? Well, what's it say? the other side, but they didn't hear him. You know, sometimes if if I'd have been there, I'd have just turned in my card. So, miracle number one, Jesus calms the storm. What does that teach about? It teaches his authority over nature. And it shows his authority to protect his disciples. Because now the whole focus of the ministry is going to be away from the nation and the multitudes onto the disciples. That's the change in ministry. And they need to know that he will protect them. Now they need to know some other things, and so we have this whole series of miracles that uh, help them understand what's going to happen since he's been rejected by the leadership. Paragraph 69. Mark 5, they came to the other side of the re- to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, here's the region of the Gerasenes. Okay, we're, we're here in the Sea of Galilee, and the Gerasenes is right down here on the southeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. Gadara is in Gentile territory. Okay, it's also called the Gadarenes. Just as Jesus was getting out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came from the tombs and met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For his hands and feet had often been bound with chains and shackles, but 
He had torn the chains apart and broken the shackles in pieces. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Each night and every day among the tombs and in the mountains, he would cry out and cut himself with demons and with stones. And I take it that he was trying to let the demons out. And I mentioned in our last session that demonic possession is, is, is very alive and well. But it is focused in the scripture around three times in history. At the time of Moses and the Exodus, there was a great increase in demonic activity. There's also a great increase in demonic activity when Jesus is on the earth. And then there'll be an increase in demonic activity before the second coming. I've dealt with demons and I've seen people who I believe were possessed and delivered from them. But here's a man that's got an incredible problem so great that no one can restrain him. And when he saw Jesus, verse 6, from a distance he ran and bowed down before him. He cried out with a loud voice, leave me alone, Jesus, son of the most high God, I implore you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of that man, you unclean spirit. Now Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. That's the Jewish methodology of exorcism. You would take the name of the demon and plug it into a formula, and if God was gracious, the demon would depart. Verse 10, he begged Jesus reportedly not to send them out of the region. Verse 31 of the Luca County, he began to beg him not to order them to depart into the abyss. The abyss is the place of temporary confinement for the fallen demons. We have demon activity on the earth, and I think that's one reason why you can explain the whole phenomenon of uh, reincarnation. A demon has to occupy a body. And I think there are demons who have not been confined who occupy a body, and then that person dies, and then they occupy another body. That's why you find some people with incredible vivid memories of past lives. I think that's a very real possibility. And here Jesus is dealing with this man who's got a legion of demons. Now, how many is a legion... A legion is probably just a reference for an innumerable number. But in the Roman military, a legion was anywhere from three to 6,000 demons. So this man is overwhelmingly possessed. He's the most awfully possessed man we have in all of the Scripture. Now the solution to this is interesting. Verse 11 of the Mark account, There on the hillside a great herd of pigs was feeding, and the demonic spirits begged him, Send us into the pigs! Let us enter them. (laughs) So Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and went into the pigs. Then the herd rushed down the steep slope into the lake, and about 2,000 were drowned in the lake. And that's the first time in the scriptures where we have a reference to deviled ham. I know you're awake. Interesting. When the herdsmen ran off and spread the news in the town and the countryside... And the people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus. So the whole town comes to Jesus. They saw the demon-possessed man sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. I've I've always wanted that for my teenage sons. Clothed and in their right mind. The one who had the legion. And they were afraid. They were more afraid of Jesus than they were of the man with a myriad of demons. Isn't that interesting? The demons, at least, had the good sense to to go into the pigs, and the pigs had the good sense to commit suicide, but the people of the town are afraid. And here's what I'm guessing happened. These pigs, and people say, what was Jesus doing in Israel with pigs? This wasn't Israel, okay? 
The Gadarenes was in what we call the Decapolis over here. See, Decapolis, that's the region. There are ten cities in this part of the ancient world. Deca, ten polis cities. And probably all of the pigs of everybody who raised pigs in that town were given to the care of this herdsman. And now he's in trouble because <laughs> all the pigs are dead. Verse 16, those who had seen what had happened to the demon-possessed man reported it, and they also told about the pigs. They asked Jesus to leave their region. Isn't that amazing? As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed asked him if he could go with him, but Jesus did not permit him to do so. Instead, he said, go to your home and to your people and tell them what the Lord has done for you, that he had mercy on you. So he went away, I love this, and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. And here's uh, an, an initial part of the beginning of the ministry to the Gentiles, since the Jewish generation has committed the unpardonable sin, the ministry to the Gentiles will begin as early as this. So Jesus has cast the demon out. The man is now going to go up and down through these cities, and we're going to see what happens the next time Jesus returns to the Decapolis. He has authority over demons. He also has authority over disease and death. Mark 5, paragraph 70, verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in a boat to the other side, so now we're back on the Jewish side, a large crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came up, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he asked him urgently, My little daughter is near death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now that's interesting because he's asking him to do the Jewish thing. Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. For whatever reason, Jesus says, okay, I'll go. And along the way, the crowd is just pressing. The last time he'd been there, he'd told the parables, and now the crowd is large. And a woman was there, verse 5, who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years. She had, I love Mark, she had, in the Luke account, Luke is a doctor. Remember Luke? It says a woman was there who had, verse 43 of Luke 8, who had been suffering <clears throat> from hemorrhage but, for 12 years but could not be healed by anyone. Now read Mark. Mark was not a doctor. She had endured a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Instead of getting better, she grew worse. Those lousy doctors. I love Luke. I love Mark. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak for she kept saying, if only I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Now, let me talk about that for just a minute. If you were a woman with a hemorrhage, this is a menstrual problem. It's been going on for how long? Twelve years. And under Jewish law, okay, under Jewish law, uh, you were not allowed to touch anybody. In fact, if your husband touches you, he's unclean. And if you happen to be clean and get well, you have to undergo an, an, a long series of cleansing rituals like the, the leper did back in Leviticus 13 and 14. Leviticus 15 talks about how she can regain her social status. We know she has no social status, she has no religious status, and she's got no money. This woman is at the end of her wits, and she comes and she says, if I can just touch him, 
Just, just touch the hem. Maybe the tassel on his prayer robe, what Jesus might have been wearing. I'll be well. Verse 29. At once, the bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Jesus knew at once that power had gone out from him. The word power is the Greek word dynamite. I love that word, dunamis. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? Now there's a crowd there. But he asked this question to get the attention of Peter because Peter is more and more going to become the leader of the twelve who are going to be left behind after Jesus is gone. See, her cure... Her urge for a cure was greater than her laws of uncleanliness. That's the burden of Pharisaism. His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you, and you say, who touched me? Which paraphrase means, you dummy. But he looked around to see who had done it. Now, he knew who had done it, but he wanted Peter and James and John to know who had done it. The woman, then with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came, watch this, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now listen, I love women and I love women who've been healed and I love women who've been healed miraculously. But when they were going to tell you the whole truth, it might have taken longer than the 12 years she was sick. Bob gets it. In the meantime, poor Jairus. You know, his daughter's near death. And she's going on and on. Let me tell you about what happened on the second visit to the doctor. And then we had x-rays. And let me tell you about the third visit to the doctor. And then I went to the hospital. Maybe she got in the VA line. It took her 41 months to see the doctor. Poor baby. And then he said to her, I love this, Daughter, your faith has made you well. It's the only time Jesus calls a woman daughter as an individual. Don't you love that? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And there's a word for healing in the Greek. It's the word iomai. But she gets a better word. She gets the word sozo. And the word sozo means you're not just healed, you're well. She's not only clean inside, she's clean without. And she does not need to go with Jesus through the ceremonial cleansing called the mikvah. See, because Jesus has taken care of that for her. And his healing power is greater than any Jewish tradition of the Mishnah. Now, while he is still speaking, people came from the synagogue, ruler's house, saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any longer? Now, how do you feel if you're Jairus? I'm just devastated, man. I'm, I'm dying. This woman came and took up the time. And... But Jesus, paying no attention to what was said, told the synagogue ruler, do not be afraid. Just believe, kind of like this woman did. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Again, now we're into the inner circle. The miracle is going to get done, but not for the multitudes, not for the town, not even for the twelve, just Peter, James, and John. They're going to be the inner circle of the three. Then they came to the house of the synagogue ruler where he saw noisy confusion and people weeping and wailing loudly. Listen, the Jews know how to wail. If you ever go to the Middle East and see a Jewish funeral, you, you will know what's going on. They have people that get paid to do this. It sounds like six ambulances going down Florida Avenue over there by the Wendy's. Okay. And they began making fun of... I'm sorry. When he, entered the, when he entered, he said to them, Why are you so distressed and weeping? The child is not dead but asleep. And I love that. Because the picture of death for the believer is sleep. Sleep doesn't mean you cease being. 
Sleep just means you stop moving around physically. And they began making fun of him, but he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and his own companions, which was Peter, James, and John, Then, gently taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. The girl got up at once and began to walk around. She was 12 years old, same age as the woman's hemorrhage. They were completely astonished at this, and he strictly ordered that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, why does no one know about this? Don't go to the priest, don't go to the temple, don't go to the synagogue, don't tell anybody because of this. See, if the nation has committed an unpardonable sin, then to give the nation more information makes them more guilty of judgment. You with me? Because the more light you have, the more judgment you get. And the nation is no longer pardonable. So from now on, when he heals somebody, he'll do it in private, and he'll tell them specifically, don't tell the nation. Even though this is the ruler of a synagogue, it would have been good pub here. Because the nation is already condemned because of the unpardonable sin. You with me? Very important. Well, Jesus goes on and on and on through this section, doing miracle after miracle to teach the twelve. And in wrapping up, I'd like us to go back to the uh, Luke event, uh, Mark event, Mark 4.35, and I'd like to talk to you about storms. We haven't done much by way of application tonight because of the time. But I'd like to talk to you about, about storms. You know, Jesus, after a long day of ministry, says, you know what? We're going to get into the boat, and we're going to go to the other side. And they do. I think you learn more in the storms, if you're like me, you learn a lot more in the storms than you do when seas are calm. And if you walk with Jesus for very long, even though his burden is light and his way is easy, we find rest, but we find rest often in the midst of the crazy times. Let me give you a couple of points of application about the storm and we'll close. Number one, storms often come in areas where we are strong. Think about it. Many of these disciples did what for a living? They fished. And they took him in the boat. Lord, I got this. Lord, I got this. And here comes the storm, and the next thing you know, it's beyond their ability, isn't it? And so sometimes if you're being tested, God will test you in an area where you're already strong. Second, storms can cause us uh, to question God's goodness. Lord, don't you care about me? You don't know what's going on with me? I'm I'm trying to serve you here, God? In fact, a third point is storms often occur when we're in the middle of the will of God. We talked about the will of God a couple of weeks ago. And the disciples were exactly where they were supposed to be doing what they were supposed to be doing, and the storm comes up in an area of their strength. And they do what I do. Lord, don't you care? Fourth, sometimes storms will cause us to doubt God's power. I'm in this mess and God can't do anything about it. You ever have that experience? 
And that's why I love the parables, because between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, there's a lot of stuff going on. But you know what? He knows the end from the beginning. God's not up there wringing his hands saying, oh, I hope they get this right. Fifth, storms sometimes are used by God to allow us to see him take us through to the other side. I would guess that most of who you are as a person is as a result of your going through a difficulty or a failure and coming through to the other side. I learn so much more from my failures than I do my successes. You know, I used to love Bobby Bowden. He used to say, you know, losing hurts so much more than winning feels good. Winning's easy. Not always. There are things you need to learn in winning, but losing is where you really learn. And then the storms, in their case, cause them to ask the question, who is this man? Who is this man? Have you answered that question in your own life? Who is this man? This is the man who is stronger than the demons and stronger than the woman's hemorrhage and stronger than the death of the little girl and is stronger than the creation which he himself has made. There's nothing that we go through in this life that he is not greater than. And so I rest in that as we head out into the storm. And no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, remember that God loves you and his goal is to get you through to the other side. Father, thank you for Jesus and his care for his disciples. That You didn't leave them and you don't leave us all by ourselves to fight it out and try to find victory. And you didn't leave us without an instruction manual. You left us with the ministry of your son and the scriptures that we can walk with you. Father, I would think in this group tonight, people are going through some tough storms. Some in their marriage, some in their family, some on their jobs, some with health. Father, we have people that are uh, doing mission work this week that need to be prayed for because there are things they will learn in the tough times that you will teach them. And so we sit back and we rejoice that you are the God of the storm. You are the God who takes us to the other side. And we pray you'd cause our faith to grow so that we would no longer ask, Lord, don't you care about us because you care about us. You proved that once for all when you sent Jesus to die for us. We pray in his name. Amen.